intended original meaning. And that's really my goal this morning. My goal is Paul's goal. Paul's goal for the Philippians would be that they would be uh, content in Christ, that they would grow in their ability to be sacrificially generous, that they would know what the proper motivation for that was, that they would understand that God supplies all of our needs in Christ. And uh, we do live in a, in a culture that celebrates discontentment. Uh, just think about this. You will never, you, possibly, you will never ever taste and savor that sweet taste of a Twinkie ever again because of discontentment. All right? A lot of employees, they, they were not content with their wages. They were mad about it, and it threw a whole company out of business because of discontentment. Uh, you turn on the radio. For those of you who like country music, some of you, we're not all indie people here. Um, <laughs> You turn on the radio, what do you hear? Alan Jackson, Jimmy Buffett. It's 5 o'clock somewhere, right? It's 5 o'clock somewhere. I don't like my job, and golly, I, I want to get out of here. It's 5 o'clock somewhere. Or, or you got uh, uh, Jimmy Buffett, Margaritaville. Let's get wasted in Margaritaville. Let's get out of here. Uh, or you got toes in the water, toes in the clay. Not a worry in the world. Cold beer on the way. Yeah, Zach Brown band, good band. But yeah, but it's all about discontentment. My life is a, is a jail. I, I hate my life. I want to be on a sandy beach somewhere. There I will find happiness. Or if I, I win a lot of money, there, there I will find happiness or something like that. And, and believers are constantly bombarded with lies from our culture about what true happiness is, what true joy and satisfaction is. The, the lie here is that the lie is entitlement. That's the lie. Uh, the, Satan's lie is that you are entitled to more than hell. For the believer, for the non-believer, the only thing that you are entitled to is hell. Anything else that you receive, anything that you have is grace. That is all. Uh, believing these lies for the believer, though, produces unhappiness. It produces discontentment. And if in Philippians 4, 10 through 20, and really all of Philippians, for the most part, Paul addresses these issues. Um, just to give a little bit of background in Philippians before we really dive into the text, it's, it's a very positive and encouraging book. Paul planted this church on his second missionary journey. It was his first church in Europe. Uh, the Philippians, he spent two years there. The Philippians loved Paul. Uh, Paul loved them. They, they supported him financially. Uh, they, what happens with this book is the Philippian church here that Paul is imprisoned in Rome. And Paul could potentially be killed in prison. And this worries them. So what they do is as a, as a sign of generosity, as a sign for love to them, they send a young man named Epaphroditus out to Rome with a generous financial donation and to be able to take care of him while he was under house arrest in Rome. Paul receives this gift and in response to this gift writes the book of Philippians. And he writes to the Philippians and he sends Epaphroditus back with the letter. So what we have here in Philippians is an ancient missionary support newsletter. If any of you have ever raised support for a mission trip or uh, several of you here raised support to work in campus ministries, uh, you know how important your supporters are and hopefully you do thank them regularly. And you've, you've written these type of letters before. What we have here is an ancient thank you letter. And our section uh, 10 through 20 is really a concluding section where he really does a good job at rounding the whole book out. So before we dive in to our actual text for this morning, let's take a moment and pray. 
All right, Father, thank you for uh, the honor to explain your word. Uh, Father, I pray that we grow in our contentment, that we know that Jesus is our treasure. And I pray that contentment and we, leads to sacrificial generosity. And Lord, I pray that we do that in light of knowing that you take care of all of our needs. And I pray this in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. So the first point today, find your contentment in Christ. All right, find your contentment in Christ. Let's look at verses 4, 10. First verse says this. should be on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, I think you might have an iPhone. Um, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So Paul begins this whole section rejoicing for their deep concern and support. Notice also that his rejoicing is in the Lord. The assumption here is that his audience here that he's talking to are believers with new hearts. They've been redeemed by Christ. Christ has purchased them new hearts. So right from the get-go, the word rejoice, that means I'm glad in God's grace. He's attributing their generosity to God's grace. But Paul is quick, though, to not make it all about tangible gifts. He's not all about material needs. So he quickly says here, using himself an example, he gives us a lesson in contentment. He says this in verses 11 and 12. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty, hunger, abundance, and need. The Apostle Paul is a man who Christ hand-selected to be an apostle. He was ordained for this position to plant some of the first churches in all the world. And he was ordained to suffer. So we're dealing with a man that knows a thing or two about successes. He knows a thing or two about defeats, mostly defeats. He ended his ministry alone and dying in a, in a jail cell. But in 411, 1 Corinthians 411, you don't have to turn there. I think we'll have it on the screen. We get a, a short, brief glimpse at the life of Paul. He says this about his ministry. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed, buffeted. That means beaten severely with rods and rocks <laughs> and homeless. Paul suffered for the sake of Jesus' name and believers everywhere. But keep in mind here, this is a man who's suffering. He's writing this letter to people who are in a wealthy Roman colony, and he's teaching them how to be content. He wants them to rejoice. And he says that he, he has learned, he has grown and matured in contentment. And we have to also keep in mind, when he wrote this, this was late in his ministry. It's not something he learned uh, right from the get-go. He wasn't automatically content. I'm sure he was a believer like many of us, although an apostle, definitely special. But contentment was a, was a process in his life to learn. Through the beatings, through the hunger, through the abundance, he learned that earthly possessions were not where it was all out, that Christ was the ultimate treasure. But what's the secret? What's the mysterious revelation? That's what that word means in the Greek. What is the mysterious revelation that Christ, that Paul knew? What was it? It's not such a secret because immediately he tells us plainly in verse 14. Let's look at that. He says in verse 14, I can do all things 
through him who strengthens me. A very popular verse. All right, you see Tim Tebow wear this on his, uh, on his little black things under his eyes. Uh, you see athletes use this verse uh, frequently to talk about how God's going to bless their athletic performance, uh, how God's going to score the touchdown for them. Entire study Bibles have been written uh, for athletes where this is like the main verse. But it's so much more than that. It's so much more than athletic performance. I, in fact, it doesn't even, it has nothing to do with athletics. It has nothing to do with the intramural t-shirts that campus ministries make and put that on there. I, that's, I saw that one time. It was weird. <laughs> it's a popular verse. It's used mostly wrong most of the time. Um, context is king. We have to view verses like this in context. When you study scripture, take context into account. Paul here reveals that the secret to contentment, the secret to lasting joy, even in the midst of poverty, is Christ himself. Through Christ, Paul faces hunger, abundance, and need. And he is able to face all things. You see, Paul's treasure was not food. Paul's treasure was not prosperity. It was not clothing. It was not popularity. Paul's treasure was Christ. So even in the midst of poverty and oppression and persecution and beatings and stonings, he could rejoice because he had all the riches in the world. He had Christ who was his treasure. He was rich in Christ, and Christ strengthened him in that text. That brings to my mind the the fact that Christ operates as the believer's prophet, priest, and king. He is in heaven, and Hebrews 7 teaches he's in heaven interceding for us at all times, praying for us because he knows our needs, and he loves us. He knows what we need more than we do. So I get the idea of him strengthening us through the Holy Spirit, and through the new heart that he has purchased for us through his death on the cross. We live in, a, in Greenville. It's kind of funny. Um, I think that contentment is a significant issue in this town. A couple years ago in college, I'd often ask people, hey, hey man, what do you want to do when you graduate? And be like, I don't know, man. I just want to get out of Greenville. You know? Contentment's a serious issue. For some reason, people just hate Greenville. Uh, and they think that the gr- grass perhaps might be greener on the other side. And then you follow them on Facebook, and then they finally make it out to Raleigh, and they're still complaining. They're still unhappy. Uh, but lately, though, I-, I meet with a few guys during the week, and I've just been in- so encouraged lately by the increase of those who actually want to stay in Greenville and uh, serve here in the local church not- just because they love the community here, just because... They possibly want to get involved in a, in a church planning team that might go one day and plant a church in another town here in the region. It's been very encouraging. And you see, when Christ is your treasure, when, Christ, uh, when you're content in him, it frees you up to make sacrifices because your treasure is him. Your treasure is not the great job that you could get if you moved to another town or the, or the nice house or the rolling hills of the Piedmont which I do miss sometimes. <laughs> but when Christ is the treasure, you can do great things for the Lord, make sacrifices. But how do you grow in contentment? How do you grow in contentment? Growing in contentment, uh, there's, no, there's really no way around it. You grow in contentment through consistent, regular study of Scripture. As you, as you dive into Scripture, as you study it, the beauty of Christ, Christ becomes more beautiful the things of this world grow 
less and less important. There's really no other way around it. You have to spend significant portions of your time in Scripture. Not saying there's a quiet time law in Scripture, but if you do want to grow in your affections for Christ, I highly recommend you. You be in it. And here's also another encouragement for contentment. You've got to realize this. You, as a believer, you have a new heart in Christ. You, you've been made new. God is in 100% complete control of your sanctification at this point. You will grow in contentment if you're in Christ. Over time, you will grow in more and more love for him. Which brings Paul to our next point. Be sacrificially generous. This is verses 14 through 18. Be sacrificially generous. Paul has uh, just finished telling the Philippians that he has no needs. All right? So he's, he thanks them for their gift, but then he says, well, I don't really have any needs anyway. And right at the get-go, it kind of sounds arrogant even. Um, he says, well, thanks, but no thanks in a sense, because I don't really need what you've given me. And if, if we were to leave it that, he would come across a little bit arrogant. But instead, he doesn't say that, though. It's, he does say in verse 14, this is kind of a transition verse. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. The word share here means fellowship. It was kind of you, Philippians, to have fellowship in my affliction. That's what he's saying. Biblical fellowship uh, between the Philippians and Paul, the missionary, the apostle, involved two things. It involved deep, prayerful concern over him. It involved sharing in with him. It involved uh, a partnership in the gospel that involved financial support. Biblical fellowship involves more than just uh, going to life group. It involves more than just having coffee appointments. It does involve sharing in each other's sufferings and taking care of one another. That is what the image we see in Scripture. So let's read on verse 15 through 16. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs again. Paul is saying this, listen, in the beginning of the gospel, in the beginning of our relationship, in the beginning when the gospel started taking root in your heart and started influencing every aspect of your life and your behavior, in the beginning of that, when I spent two years with you and then I left, I left Macedonia. Macedonia was the region that Philippi was in, just like Greenville is in Pitt County or, or Pitt County is in North Carolina. So it would be like me saying, I'm leaving North Carolina to go plant a church or I'm leaving Pitt County to go plant in around Beaufort area. Uh, no church except you Philippians have supported me financially. Not one church. And even in Thessalonica, which was just right down the road from Philippi, it was his first stop along the road. Wait, it was his first stop. Even in Thessalonica, you supported me financially. You, you cared for my needs, my practical needs, right down the road. So both near and far, both out of the region and right down the road, you guys have loved and supported me. Is he cutting down the other churches? No. Because Paul elsewhere, and what we've learned through this series, is that they are free in Christ to give whatever they desire. He's not cutting that, them down. Don't think that. Paul loves the other churches. What he is doing is he is commending the Philippians for their generosity. Verse 17 says this. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. 
I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Once again, Paul reminds them it's not all about the tangible gift. He's not seeking after money. What is he seeking after? He's seeking after fruit in their life. He's seeking after the fruit that increases to their credit. What is he talking about? (laughs) He's talking about fruit-bearing believers. When they hear Paul say this, their minds probably went back to John's gospel where he says in John 15, 5, uh, Jesus says this, John 15, 5. Jesus is describing his disciples. He says, I am the vine. Christ is the vine. You are the branches. Believers are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Paul is speaking to Christians who are united to Christ. Christ being the vine. The fruit that comes out of their life comes from their unity with Christ being, as being believers in him. So when he's after the fruit in, in their life, he's after the generosity that flows from their unity and love for Christ because that's the way Christ has made them. So it's impossible to be united with Christ and not grow in generosity because it is a fruit that flows out of unity with Christ. And that's why Paul is seeking after their gift because he wants them to love Christ more and more and more. And because of their generosity, because he sees them being generous, Paul is so encouraged because he knows they are maturing in the faith. He knows that they are growing in their love for Christ. And true generosity, what we've been talking about in this series, is only possible through unity with Christ. And the believers in Philippi have certainly supplied him well. And then he He does something very interesting describing their gift. He says this to describe their gift to him. He says that their gift is a... You can put up the verse again. He says that their gift is a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. Now this was the language that was used in the Old Testament to describe Old Testament sacrifices. The Old Testament sacrifices that the lambs and the sheep that were slaughtered for the sins of the people, they didn't accomplish anything. They were, there, they were just there as a, as a picture, as a shadow to point towards the sacrifice that would actually accomplish something for God's people. They were shadows of things to come. The, the ultimate sacrifice that accomplished salvation for God's people, that being believers in Christ, was the sacrifice of Christ. Paul uses these same words in Ephesians 5.2 to describe the sacrifice of Christ. In Ephesians 5.2 he says this, You don't have to turn there. I think we got it. And walk in love. Live a lifestyle of love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Did you just catch that? Christ is God. He gave up everything in order to sacrifice his life for the sins of believers, all for God's glory. And he was slaughtered on behalf of our sins. Paul says that their their generous donations are a reflection of the sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf. He uses the same language. I find that so fascinating. All right, so in this book, we see a a lot of pictures of sacrifice. One of the themes of Philippians is really uh, self-sacrifice. 
Um, Paul, in Philippians 1, 21 through 24, he, he makes a sacrifice, but it's something unlike I, I ever, I've ever really thought about. When you think about sacrifices, you think about death sacrifices, right? You think about a, a Christian martyring himself. In Philippians 1, 21 through 24, Paul says this, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul was in prison. He had the opportunity to die. And he could have made it easier for himself to die and go be with his Lord and Savior forever. To go and be with Christ. In fact, in in Rome, they would often give prisoners the choice of death. Paul Paul could have worked his way to die and be with his Lord and Savior forever. But what does he do? Because Christ is his motivation. He's motivated to love and serve others and be generous to the Philippians. So he gives up death. He gives up the, the opportunity to die and be with his Lord and Savior forever in order to continue on serving the Philippians. So I see that kind of as a reverse sacrifice of sorts where Paul gives up death be with Christ to keep serving his people because he was focused on serving others. And why was that? Because his model was Christ. Christ considered others more significant than himself. How do you be sacrificially generous? How do you, how do, you do this? How do you work this into your life? You look to Christ as the model. Christ sacrificed himself, gave himself up for the sins of believers. You look to that Christ not only sacrificed in order to save us from our sins, but he sacrificed in order to purchase our new heart. If you have a new heart in Christ, this is something that you ought to want to do. It should just be in you to be like your Lord, to be generous, to love others. So imitate his selflessness and his humility. Sacrifice your time, your talents, your treasures. Do that monthly budget. Think about what you can give to support the local church, to support campus ministry staffers to support missionaries. Imitate Christ through sacrificial giving. Follow him in that. Third point of the day. Understand that God supplies all of your needs. Verses 4, uh, 19 through 20. Let's read verse 19. Paul says this, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To, God, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. So Paul reminds them that in their generosity, God is being generous to them. We as a people are completely dependent upon the Lord for all that we have. Remember, we're not entitled to anything but hell, and yet he has shown so much grace to us to give us anything that we have. All of our money, all of our clothing, our families, everything that you can think of is a gift of his grace that he deserves the credit for. He has supplied all of our needs. And this is why Paul says in 4.6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. This is why Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, because our God is a God that takes care of us and loves and serves us. He doesn't serve us, we serve Him. But He does... Give us exactly what we need. And I've seen this in my own life. When I, when I got married, 
to Nitzi, we were broke and stupid, all right? I, I made about $600 a month. Uh, I had a little bit of savings, not much. Uh, rent was 425 So when it was all said and done with, after we had some money left over, we had about $175, and we had to use that to buy food and clothing and stuff like that and other necessities of life. So needless to say, it was a little tight. Not saying that that's worse off than any of you in here, but for a year, though, it was really tight. We, we had the opportunity to, to leave Greenville, to leave Integrity Church in order to pursue a pretty decent jobs with me with a construction company and Mitzi, she could about go anywhere because she was a nurse. But we, we decided to stay and hang it out, and it was scary. I, I had to deal with a lot of anxiety over it. And uh, looking back on that, you really get to see that God really does take care of all of your needs. He is a loving God, and he has taken care of us all along the way. And some of you are in rough positions right now, and you're struggling with anxiety, and you're struggling with contentment. And the encouragement today is to be content with what you have and understand that all that you have right now has been given by God in his sovereign will and to take comfort and rest in that because he's smarter than you and he knows what you really need. God does take care of us. So these truths, contentment, uh, sacrificial generosity, understanding that God is sovereign over all that we have, and he gives us everything we need, that frees us up to be generous people. How so? Why does God love a cheerful giver? God loves cheerful givers because cheerful givers, uh, when they give, they're not giving away their God. Money is not their God. So they hold on to it loosely, and they're actually able to use it for what God intended it, to help others and to support the advancement of the gospel through the local church. God loves cheerful givers because cheerful givers are believers with new hearts who desire to do so because he's made them that way. Giving cheerfully expresses contentment in Christ because Christ is enough and money is not God. Possessions are not God. Christ is God. So then I'm freed up to give generously. And God is sovereign and gives us everything we need. So as I'm giving generously, I know that God is sovereign over what I need. So I can be sacrificial. God's going to supply all of our needs. I had a conversation in life group uh, this past week where uh, someone asked, well, should we just give so much to where we can't take care of our families? I don't think so. You take care of your family. But there is this sense in Scripture where it does hurt, where it is a sacrifice. So the goal of uh, this sermon today was really to help you grow in your understanding of contentment, that you'd you'd hold your money loosely, that you'd, you'd use it to advance the kingdom of God, to advance the gospel, that you know that God loves and cares for believers in Christ and that he will take care of you. And as a church, the topic was generous church. As a church, we ought to be more like the Philippians. We ought to give generously. We ought to be a generous church. Paul, they were commended for their generosity. And I hope that on that final day, at the end of days, really, 
that Integrity Church is commended for our radical generosity. It's our desire to be generous as a church. I mean, that's why this year alone we've given well over uh, $15,000 to church planning and missions. That's not to boast, but that is just to show you guys that we do desire to be generous. And that's all, that's only been possible through your own individual generosity that we've been able to support church plants and missionaries. So I just want to thank you guys for your generosity. And how do you respond? Well, you respond through giving. You respond through radical generosity. Think about Christ. Give to the Generous People Campaign. This is going to go to help serve our family as a church. It's going to go to help serve our community. It's going to help us get a head start on church planning. This is a good and noble thing to give to, and we want to encourage you to take that opportunity to respond to everything that you've learned and give. You can serve the church. You can, you can stay here. You can serve. You can uh, be on one of our volunteer teams, stuff like that. I'm going to lead in prayer. And then what we have for you is a, is a short video of two church planners that are thanking us as a church for the generous support that we've had the privilege to give them. So I want to thank you guys for the opportunity this morning. I'll pray.